the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If a person claims to be saved and they've never shown a change in their life and they've never produced good works, they haven't ever been saved. That's a strong statement, but it's one of the tests of salvation that the Apostle John gave us in his first epistle. And it's something we can also learn from James. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff is beginning a new series of studies, and we're looking at the third chapter of James, beginning with verse 1. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our topic today in this series from James is the taming of the tongue. You know, a strong vocabulary is a real advantage in life. But how we use our words is even more important. I read once that uh, there's a weathered old tombstone in an English churchyard that reads, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. It is amazing how much damage our tongues can do and how hard it can be to control. Sometimes it seems like only the grave can tame it. But there is a way to bring our speech under control. God can and will help us master it if we let him. I invite you to follow in your Bible if you can. Here's Pastor Steve. Continue our study on James tonight. Interesting study, because we're going to be dealing with the power of the tongue, the power of our words, of our speech. Recently, my wife, who not only sings, but also teaches a Sunday school class for four-year-olds informed me of a song they sing in her class. And it goes something like this. It's called, Oh, Be Careful, and I'm not going to sing it to you, but I'll say it. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. There's a father up above, and he's looking down in love. So be careful, little mouth, what you say. We can't improve on that theology. There's nothing that we can improve on. We can only clarify it, and that's what we want to do tonight. Because we come to that section in the book of James which deals with being careful what we say. The power of the tongue. James has told us a number of truths. Truths in the form of tests that he gives to each Christian or each person who professes to be a Christian. He says, if you're really a Christian, then prove it to me by your life. And so in chapter 1, we have to prove that we're a Christian by the way we handle our trials, at least the desire to handle our trials properly. We don't run from them, but that we let them produce in us a certain quality of a Christian. They produce steadfastness, which leads to maturity. That's the first test, that the trial of our faith produces patience or endurance. There's another test. In chapter 1, and that's our relationship with the Word of God. Are we doers of the Word or just hearers who deceive ourselves? Are we auditing the class or are we really preparing for the final? 
When you audit a class, you don't need to do the homework. You don't need to do anything the teacher says. You're just curious. When you're studying to take a midterm and an exam, you take copious notes. At least you should take notes. You study. You follow. You're interested. You do what the instructor says. That's our second test. In chapter 2, we took the test of prejudice and personal favoritism. Do we put one person above another because of whether it be their wealth or, or their skin color or their personality? Do we do that? If we do that, then we're prejudiced. We show personal favoritism. And the Lord Jesus is not like that. And we shouldn't be. And if we don't want to change, there's a good possibility that we're not even believers. We were also faced, last time we, we met, we were faced with another test. And that's the test of good works in general. True faith produces good works. It has to. If it has never produced good works, there has never been salvation. It's true that there may be carnality, and there may be for a time non-productive person. But if a person claims to be saved, and they've never shown a change in their life, and they've never produced good works... They haven't ever been saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, sums it up this way. This familiar verse, but we don't familiarize ourselves with verse 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Now catch verse 10. For we are his workmanship. It literally means we are his poem. We're his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just as a poet creates a poem, so God has created us, created good works for us. We are his poem. We are created by God to do good works, to glorify him. But that only takes place when you're saved, and you're only saved by grace through faith. Each one of these focuses on action. It's a proving of your faith by doing something. And James is very quick to say that if you only have words and no action, then something is wrong. Then your words are empty. Then they're meaningless. In chapter 2, for instance, in chapter 2, the person who has non-saving faith says he has faith. Remember how James starts that out where he says uh, in verse 14, what use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith? You see, he's very quick to talk about his religion, but he doesn't really have faith. His words are empty. This person goes on in verse 15 and 16 to say things like this. And one of you says to them, somebody comes in without clothing and need of food, and one of you, notice, says to them, there's those empty words, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, but you don't do anything about it. James says, your faith is dead. Your words are empty. It's a mockery. I said last time we, we were together, I said, it's like seeing somebody on the road with a flat tire, and you can help them, and you say, fix your tire as you go by. It's a mockery. It's empty words. The Pharisees talked great. They had all the piosity, the religious gobbledygook, all that you can ask for. The religious hucksters of our day and James' day would say the right words, but they were empty. 
There are phonies abounding and abounding today with correct terminology, but the heart is so far from the Lord. The Bible says, with their, Isaiah said, with their lips, they praise me, but their heart is far from me. And that's what James is saying. James is emphasizing action. He's emphasizing deeds. He's emphasizing good works. But some of his readers, and perhaps some of us, would begin after hearing week after week, and, and as they read this, it didn't take weeks, they just read it at once. They would begin to conclude, and maybe you have, that it really doesn't make a difference what you say. The only thing that's important is what you do. James wants to correct that. Because what you say is just as important as what you do. Because both works and words reveal what you're really like. So while James is correcting words that are empty, words that don't mean anything, words that aren't backed up by a life, He's going to, in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, instruct us on the importance of words, the importance of the tongue. What we say matters. You see, because what we say reveals if we're really believers or not. What we say is another test. It's a test of whether we've got evidence in our lives that would convict us of being Christians. Christians ought to speak purity. There ought to be a way about which Christians speak. And we're going to deal with a lot of application. Now, when we use the term tongue, which is what James is going to be using throughout this passage, when we use the term tongue, we are referring to our speech. The words we say. The tongue is simply the organ of human speech. The tongue, and we'll see later what the tongue is really controlled by, but the power of the tongue is incredible. The power of our words are amazing. With our words and our tongue, we praise God, we pray, we preach the word, we lead others to Christ, we witness, we communicate to one another. The tongue enables us to express to to each other the deepest feelings that we have. And yet... The tongue that can praise God can also curse and blaspheme God. The tongue that can pray to God can also criticize God's servants, can criticize God's church. The tongue that preaches the truth can also spread untrue and malicious lies and gossip. The tongue that can lead others to life eternal can also kill a man's reputation. It can assassinate people. The tongue that can can express the deepest feelings can also stifle the deepest feelings of a person. See, the tongue has power. Power like nothing else. The people that James was writing to had real problems with their tongue, as as we do. This isn't anything new, but look at verse 19 of chapter 1. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak. Why does he say that? Because obviously some of them were being very quick to speak. Slow to anger. They had a problem with it. Look at chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. You think that you're religious, yet you don't control your tongue? It's worthless. What good is it? Chapter 2, verse 12. So speak and so act as those that are judged by the law of liberty. The word of God will judge you. Speak and act in accordance with it. But speak properly. 
Now, these believers were not unique, as we said. All of us know the frustration of opening our big mouths and inserting our feet. All of us know the frustration of saying something that we just wish we could take back, don't we? Why did I ever say that? I wish I had a razor blade and I could cut my tongue out for ever saying something like that. Someone came up to me today and told me about something they said recently, and they said, I, I wish I had never said that. All of us have that problem. We all know the problem of, taking, of trying to take back and feeling bad about angry words that we say that we just didn't think about, and they just kind of slipped out, and it, it, it crushed someone. Or cutting words, or thoughtless words, or careless words. Churches have been split and devastated by mere words. Marriages have been destroyed due to the cutting tongue. Friendships have been severed forever because somebody said something in the moment when they should have reflected upon whether it was right to say this. They said something that completely severed the relationship. Testimonies, Christian testimonies, have been shattered by language that should never be uttered by a Christian. There are some people who, who will never witness because in, on the, in, in a moment of, of anger, they let out curse words to people who heard them and they want to witness to them and now they don't have a clear conscience about it. Now the solution is, is to simply ask God's forgiveness and ask their forgiveness and then go and, and witness to them. But there are some who are held back by that because they're so ashamed of words they said that they should never have said. All of us face the daily battle of controlling the tongue. Michelle sang about the, the war is over, but battles that we create for ourselves rage in our hearts. And yet the victory is there, and we're going to see that. It's interesting, I did a little study this week on what statisticians, I'll say that word just once and won't repeat it because it's a hard word, what people who work with statistics, <laughs> what they have come up with about the average person and his talking uh, habits. They say that the average person spends at least one-fifth of his life talking. Usually, they, they say, uh, enough words are said in a single day to fill a 50-page book. In one year's time, the average person's words would fill 132 books, each containing 400 pages. The average person spends at least 13 years of his life talking. That's a lot of talking. What Solomon said, the wisest man said this, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You ever be in a conversation, you're talking a lot? As, as sure as I'm standing here, if you talk enough, you're going to hang yourself somewhere. And if you are talking with someone and they just keep on talking, sure enough, they're going to get in trouble with what they say. I know because I do it all the time. Why are you laughing? You've obviously had conversations with me. All of us are involved in this habit we call talking, and, and we have experienced the good and the bad of the tongue. There's a lot of good in the tongue and a lot of bad in the tongue. I came across this story recently, well, matter of fact, this week. There was a heathen philosopher named Exanthus. 
Exanthus was expecting some friends to dine with him, and he ordered his servant, Aesop, and I believe this is, this is a true story. I have no reason to think that it's not. He ordered his servant, Aesop, to provide the best things that the market could supply. So he sent him to the market to go buy the best food for his guests. Tongues only were provided. And the cook was ordered to serve up the different sauces, and course after course was supplied, each consisting of tongue. And then Exanthus said this, Didn't I order you to buy the best the market afforded? You know what, uh, and he said, and, and you've not obeyed my orders. And you know what his servant said? Is there anything better than a tongue? Is not the tongue the bond of civil society, the organ of truth and reason, and the instrument of our praise and adoration of the gods? Exanthus ordered him to go to the market again the next day and find the worst things that he could find. He figured if this is what he thought was the best, if he just reversed it and said get the worst, then he'd get the best. But here's what happened. He went, and again he purchased tongues. And again his master said, what are you doing? Why did you? I told you to get the worst. Now you bring me back what you said was the best. And this is his answer. He said that the tongue is surely the worst thing in the world. It's the instrument of all strife and contention, the inventor of lawsuits, the source of division and wars. It's the organ of error, of lies, and of blasphemies. I think that his servant should have been the uh, philosopher and not the man. But you see, we know the good and the bad of the tongue. It does great things, does terrible things. There's power in the words that we speak. An unknown poet said this, A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate and still. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may smooth the way, a joyous word may light the day, a timely word may lessen stress, a loving word may heal and bless. There's power in the tongue, and James is going to tell us how much power there really is. And in order to impress upon us the power of our words, of our speech, of our tongue, he gives us a number of pictures of the tongue. These are metaphors for what the tongue really is. This is the way the tongue functions. He calls it the bit, just like we put in a horse to control that horse. It's a bit. It's a rudder that we put in a big ship. It's a fire. It's a wild beast that cannot be tamed by a person. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. It's a fig tree. It's a body of water. Those are, those are some powerful illustrations. James is driving home the power of the tongue. And in order to convey it to us, I've come up with an outline that I think you can get a handle on. Three categories show us the power of the tongue. If you're taking notes, these are the three categories. Number one, it directs us. The tongue directs our lives. It directs others' lives. It also destroys. Not only directs, it destroys. And it also diagnoses our spiritual condition. Number one, it directs. Look at verse 1, chapter 3. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. The tongue directly influences people, whether you recognize it or not. And to show the power of the tongue, James first focuses on teachers. Because teachers, like nobody else, influence 
their pupils. And, and he's speaking here about teachers of the word of God, though we can certainly apply it to those who, who are school teachers, those who, who have any contact with people, but specifically those who teach the word of God. A teacher does his teaching primarily by using his lips and talking. Now, James is not attacking the, the position of teacher. That was highly exalted in the early church and ought to be highly exalted in every church. Not that the person is, but the position is. But rather, he's warning his readers not to rush into the fields of teaching because there's a greater judgment awaiting teachers. Did you realize that? There is a greater judgment. When God judges us for our works, teachers have a greater judgment because they have been handed the oracles of God and been commissioned to make sure that you don't teach falsely, you don't teach your opinions, you teach the truth. The standard isn't higher, simply the responsibility is more. And teachers are warned, and people are warned, don't rush into that field. If you're not called, and if you're not qualified, and if you're not ready, don't do it, because there's a greater judgment awaiting you. Because you're going to be judged by what you say, and it better line up with the Word of God. Because what a teacher says, and what he does with his life, can change the course of of everyone who listens to him. For instance, what I say to you, and I recognize this, and it's an awesome responsibility, that what I say to you even today could change the course of your life. Not because I say it, but because we're handling the word of God, and the word of God changes lives. And you look to me, and you look to your Sunday school teachers, and you're going to be looking to your teachers at the Chapel Bible Institute, and all those who who are discipling you, and working with you, and and children look to their parents as teachers. You look to those who, who are over you to teach you, to teach you God's word, not to give you opinions. In counseling, some come and they bring their deepest problems. They're not looking for my opinion, they're looking for the word of God, real solutions. It's an awesome responsibility to teach. And we hear time and time again how the message of the Word of God has changed people's lives. I hear it over and over again. It, it just uh, I, I don't even uh, recall all the times people have said things to me. And it's, it's not because of me. I'm not patting myself on the back. We're just pointing out the importance of, of teaching the Word of God. People come to me and say that the messages on divorce has, has helped them, and they sense it to this relative and that. And someone recently told me about the tapes on the charismatic movement being sent to, to a relative of theirs, a family member out in California that, that helped someone not get into, who, who was kind of drifting and embracing the charismatic movement or had that potential. It helped them. It's changed their lives. The Word of God directs people. Message on temptation a number of weeks ago worked in the, in the life of a wife to avoid disaster in her home life. The Word of God changes lives. A teacher is used that way. The director of our tape ministry told me that just recently a pastor wrote and said, do you have anything on 1 Corinthians 10 on Christian liberty? And he, he sent him the tapes, and that pastor wants more of that. And it changes the lives of his congregation. It's not because we're anything great. But we handle what is great, and that's the perfect Word of God, which changes lives. It directs lives. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, 
and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is a powerful tool, isn't it, and one that needs to be handled properly. When we think about it, teaching Scripture can be scary. But with the help of the Holy Spirit and some godly mentors, the Lord can do amazing things with our humble words. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like more information about Lakeside, go online to lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or visit lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. If you're feeling led to help these daily radio Bible classes, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org, or call Lakeside at the number I just gave you, 727-441-1714. We not only have giving information at the website, we have all of our previous broadcasts available for free streaming or downloading on the Message Archive page. That's at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. One thing I like about using Gmail's web interface for my email is that after I hit send, there's a little undo link at the top that's on the screen for a short time in case you realize that you said something you should not have said. Then I discovered that you can change that delay, so I made it longer. (laughs) Don't you wish you could do that with spoken words sometimes? Join us next time on Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve shares some thoughts about how God can help keep us from saying things we wish we hadn't said. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.